0: Thanks for joining me again.
1: Oh hi David.
0: Um, So today we're on chapters 13 to 24 of the book so we're still in section one in Italy Um, and you know overall I was kind of more caught by the fact that it's still not that much about Italy. It's still a lot of reflecting and looking back um, at least that's the way I read it and I but I remember every other time having a very kind of what I would call more I'm sure I was dealing with it and, and accepting her kind of her growth and stuff but I always came out of it just having holding like oh she's just like superficially in Italy exploring stuff but I, I was really like it seemed so minimal to me which also kind of resonated with the idea that Although it's fun and good to be able to pursue pleasure, it's not like you can't really fill your life with that. And so, as much as that's what she's doing in this time, and I think it's valuable to learn how to do, it can't fill like a full, like, you know, 100 pages in a book or whatever. It wouldn't have worked if she just was telling us today I ate pasta and it was delicious. Then I spoke Italian and it was great. So I found that really interesting that although that's the focus of her time, that's not necessarily the focus of the book at this point.
1: I would tend to agree with you. The first time I read the book, I really just skimmed over Italy. It never resonated with me. There was nothing there that really struck me. But this time I find myself rereading parts of it because, Mm -hmm. you know, she speaks, you talked about the pleasure, but she speaks about the nothingness how Italy embraces just nothing, doing nothing. The people in Italy enjoy doing nothing. And that's been a big part of my journey, is that letting go so I can appreciate that you don't have to always be doing something, that nothing is the most beautiful thing. But in that nothing, it got ugly for her because she then had to face her depression. She had to face her loneliness. And she had to face it in a different way than she ever did before. So I All made right. a note. And- I made a note, and my note says um, many people are actually afraid to heal because their enti- identity is centered around their pain and trauma. They have no idea who they are outside of this, which is terrifying for them. So fear of that often prevents the change. Elizabeth faced her demons that night in Italy and was able to move through it to the other side. And I think that that's so important because I really wasn't enjoying Italy. I wasn't enjoying this part of the book, just like I didn't enjoy it before until we really got, until she really ripped herself open and, and said, this is really who I am. And it, for me, it, made me remember those dark times in my own life. Probably which happened around the time that I read the book,
0: mm-hmm. but I wasn't
1: ready to face them. So I skipped over that part in reading the book.
0: Right, and, and that's interesting. And to realize what that meant. And I think it's really, for, it's, it's almost like you have to earn the right to do nothing. And when you mm-hmm. don't feel like you deserve it, that's why you can never do it. And also, I think both like, you know, giving yourself pleasure and doing nothing. It, it, it's again, if you don't feel like you deserve it because of X, Y or Z, you'll never really want to sit with that fact that you don't think you deserve it for some reason, which is why people just entertain themselves and distract themselves and things like that. And so I think, I think it's.
1: Oh, sorry, go on.
0: Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I think fear pays, plays a big part of it. Yes, you're not, we're not taught in our society that it's okay to do nothing. But there's that fear of when, of when you do nothing that you're actually going to have to face yourself. Because when you're doing mm. nothing is when you really have to be alone with yourself and sit yeah, and alone think- with yourself.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really contrast with her kind of being able to do whatever she wants anywhere in Italy, but then still kind of needing to be alone in the ability to do that, which is, I think, a lot of what people find in travel experiences generally, right? You know, I went to Asia for four months and, you know, I could only just like, because, you know, traveling is the first time I really felt like I could do whatever I wanted, Mm-hmm. And I could only do high energy, whatever I wanted, things so long before I got exhausted, and I needed to find calm ways to travel and be with myself. And I think that's like, a, you know, a lot of people kind of have an experience of finding themselves when they travel. And I think that's part of it. If you kind of just can meet whatever need and entertain yourself such to such an extent, at least for me, it eventually got tiresome. But I want to, I want to just mention two two points about um, you know, her, her, her relationship to travel. And she says, one, she's really bad at it. She says she's not good at travel. She sticks up <laughs> no, like a I, sore thumb.
1: I could relate um, to that. <laughs> but
0: she says she still loves it, right? Yeah. And so it's, and that's a big thing that, you know, the, the three things I kind of captured at the start of this section was she's bad at travel, but she likes people so she wanted to meet friends of friends and she loves travel so much that she did it with just because of her love for it and that really complemented when she's talking about her italian school how everyone there was just there because they wanted to be there no one had a need to be there no mm-hmm. one needed to learn italian in order to you know succeed at life or their business or whatever It was just what do I really want and Mm -hmm. giving myself that thing and I think that is really uncommon for people as well and so that whole kind of her like framing of what she's doing there um I found really interesting
1: yeah well she again you know I I tend to think about what we're taught in as we're growing up and in society and she talks about that actually in in the book um, how we're, uh, I mean, I'm just going to use the word programmed for lack of a better word, but we're mm-hmm. programmed to believe that we're really not supposed to go after our wants because well, we're, we're not to supposed to be selfish. Yeah. Exactly. We're not supposed to be selfish. We're not supposed to be self-serving. So if you want something, you know, it's different than a need. Right? Right. And we're taught to go after what we need to fulfill our lives to be successful to have the material things in life that are dictated by our society that we live in. But we're really not encouraged to just follow what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as as a mother, you know, you I, I, I believe that I fell into that into that path, just because that's what I was taught as well. Um, And I know that I did try and break away from that. And I did it for my kids to teach them to go after what they wanted as well. However, I didn't do it for myself until I was in my Mm forties. And, you know, when you make the decision that you're gonna start following your wants, you have to alienate certain people to get that. And that's something that she really realizes, you know, she alienated her husband. Um, I'm sure like back home, people didn't understand why she was doing what she was doing. She spoke to that actually. Yeah. And so you really have to be able to find the courage within yourself to stand strong in your want.
0: Yeah, and and she also mentions her like Swedish friend, Sophie and no one could understand why she was like leaving her job at the bank or whatever. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's important again to, I think we also see in like kind of implicitly that following only your wants without thought, without thinking about them, that doesn't get you anywhere. Like she wouldn't be, I think it's important to hold in the context of the book. She wouldn't have been satisfied to pick this life forever. Right. To only seek pleasure. Uh, forever it's it's good to experiment and to have as a baseline especially kind of to undo that programming right and that's sort of I think why this this book is structured so well and one thing I really wanted to touch on is that you know for I like I sought my my wants as like I was very much hedonistic in my young adulthood right I was always just kind of seeking pleasure and stuff and then I had to learn how to how to do something other than that. And so it was kind of like an opposite training from from most people because I had this tendency to overcorrect. But what she mentions here is she she wanted to try and do yoga while in Italy and it just wasn't going to happen. She couldn't
1: she couldn't. And for yeah. me
0: that's that was really interesting and really impactful because again I think it is again the balance and I'm really interested to see what happens when we get to Indonesia. Because for me, I lived in a sort of pleasure seeking way for a long time. And then I got so obsessed with the yoga, the meditation, the like being with myself and not focusing on pleasure. And I had a really hard time figuring out a balance. And right now I'm in a state where I'm not focusing as much on the meditation and and stuff. And I, I have a hard time accepting that but her being able to say like, that's just not my focus right now. I know it's a value and I'm working towards integrating the two, but right now it's okay to put it aside. And I found that really interesting and important for me.
1: One of the biggest learnings I've had is that it's okay to give yourself permission not to do something that you've set as a goal if it doesn't resonate with you in that moment. It doesn't mean that it goes away forever, Mm -hmm. It means that you're just putting it aside until your heart can, or until your being can open to embrace it again, because that's how you can find the balance. The balance is saying, it's okay. It's okay if I don't do that. And that's what she gave herself permission to do because she is, um, from what I gather from the book, she is definitely someone who's like a type A personality who sets herself for herself goals and she goes after them. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, when she did her in the last section, we discussed how she did her. Um, she put it out there to everybody to help her to be able to manifest this trip. Right. And, you know, when she let we when she let it go and she said, you know what, it, it'll happen. And I'm going to just wait for it to happen the right way. That's how it came to her. Right. And she was, she was lucky. She knew in her mind, she was going to do this trip. She didn't know how she was going to do it, but then she found the balance of her work supporting it. Right. Because she got the book contract. So, you know, when you give yourself that permission to let it go, that's when it all starts to come together.
0: Well, and I think I, I, I essentially agree, but I would kind of phrase it differently. I think people get too focused on the minutia and they get, they, because they're so, they don't really know what they want in a deep sense, in a large sense. And so they, they feel more protected when they hold on to the minutia and that's what they have to let go of. And, and, you know, letting go of that, I let go of that before I had a goal and that caused me a lot of issues. But I think that's still valuable because it forced me to think about what my bigger goal is. But when you have a large goal, it's so relaxing and relieving to let go of the minutia. And so it's like, and so she, and I think in this example, she knew she wanted to do this trip and Mm -hmm. she didn't have to be so anxious about how exactly is it going to happen? And I think that's kind of the right way to think about it and what people, why people are do have a hard time letting go of smaller things because they haven't thought about their ultimate goal, right? I, there's this idea of like a gradient ascent. If I know I'm getting to the top of a mountain and I know my destination, yep. I don't have, I don't focus on exactly the path I need to take because I don't know what obstacles will come up along my way. And so I have to let go of this idea of I have a specific path to take but you can only really feel comfortable in doing that when you've thought enough about, well, what is my actual destination? And so I just want to clarify that kind of. Uh, you
1: know, I, it's motivation. interesting you say that because it makes me think about something. I'm training myself how to run right now. I've never, ever, ever been able to run. I can't breathe. I always look down because I never want to miss anything. So I'm looking down. I'm not, I'm not confident in my footing. So I could never, ever run. And I've started training myself to run. And one of the things I'm doing, because that's what I was, someone explained to me I should do is I'm looking ahead because I'm doing it in my home. And I know my, I don't have anything that's going to trip me up in my path. I'm able to do it and I'm able to keep my, my, eyes up, and I've made it to five minutes now where I can run without losing my breath without feeling uncomfortable. So I'm going to keep practicing that. So that's the letting go, right? The letting go of the minutiae, because in my mind, I was so focused on where am I going to, where am I going to walk? Am I going to trip on something, all these little things right. that were preventing me from being able to run. So yeah. it'll be interesting when I, spring comes and I try to take it outside. If I'll be able to keep running, looking up, right. But it's how I'm trying to train my brain now, because it's part of it is the trust as well. Mm -hmm. You have to trust yourself to be able to let go of the minutia.
0: Right. And it's a, it's a really interesting psychological thing as well, in terms of how you learn to do things automatically without thinking. Mm Because imagine if you were walking down the street and you had to think left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, Right, it wouldn't work. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where people's anxieties come from. We have more complex things in our life than just walking or whatever else. Um,
1: so she had a melt. She went into a bad state in the book. And I yeah. think it's because, you know, to use your word, the minutia, she was so used to all that minutia. Now there was nothing. She's got nothing. Right. And, and, and-, and that caused her to have i think her most cathartic mental breakdown she's ever had probably
0: and and we really get to see here like what i'd call a, uh for lack of a better term a healthy mental health breakdown looks like mm-hmm. right um because well it's
1: the way she's worded it we don't know
0: right but i'm saying actually got right no but even as tense as it was she captures this sentiment of how Absolutely. to how to kind of let it wash over you, right? So she mentions depression and loneliness join her and they they cling to her. But what she really does is she relies on herself. She, she's lost and depressed and desperate and lonely. And she talks to herself. She recognizes yeah. that she's her own friend. She says, I'm here, I love you. I don't care if you need to stay up crying all night long. I will stay with you. If you need the medication again, go ahead and take it. I will love you through that as well. If you don't need the medication, I will love you too. There's nothing you can ever do to lose my love. I will protect you until you die. And after your death, I will still protect you. I am stronger than depression and I am braver than loneliness and nothing will ever exhaust me. And to be able to say that to yourself sincerely, like I have... Oh my God,
1: I know. it. It makes me want to cry.
0: To be able to... And like the answer, like, that's the same voice. That's the same sentiment as go to bed Liz that we saw in the last uh, section. It's, it's this, uh, it's this profound love of self, no matter what is going on. I'm here for me. I'm here for myself. I love myself and things will be okay. I can get through this. And, and, you know, however long that night was for her, however tough that was, that's the sentiment that is missing. Whenever you're, whenever I've been depressed, whenever I've been lonely, it's because I forget to be there for myself. And she does such a good job of really showing us that experience.
1: You know, I think that all, I think that everybody experiences these experiences at different times. Um, Generationally, For my generation you just didn't talk about it my mother's generation my parents generation you didn't talk about it it wasn't something that was discussed um upon reflection you know when i because i'm always reflecting i look back at certain times especially after i um went through my divorce when i probably went i know that i went to these dark places but I didn't call it depression. I didn't, I didn't recognize the loneliness because we weren't supposed to. Right. Right. And so reading what she wrote, um, it really resonated because once you can get to the other side, which she did, I love when she looked in the mirror, she was drawn to the mirror and she says, Hey, you know her, that's a friend of yours. And I actually ran forward towards my own reflection with a smile, ready to welcome that girl whose name I had lost, but whose face was so familiar. Never forget that once upon a time in an unguarded moment, you recognized yourself as your friend and we're not taught to be friends with ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think that
1: fills me with sadness. Because I think about as much as you know, our journey leads us to where we are, I can speak for myself. I, I'm very happy where I am right now. And I know that all my experiences led me to this moment. But there's that part of me that feels sadness because there was things I wanted to do that I never ever had the confidence to do because I wasn't my own friend.
0: Right. And I think there's two important points there. One, like, I really like the idea of it's a journey and you have to enjoy it and appreciate wherever you are on it. But I really think that we don't give people the right map, right? Absolutely. It's still each person's journey that they have to figure out. But, you know, it's really difficult to navigate life without a map. And, and, you know, we need to start figuring out and, you know, I'm very focused on what is the right map? And it's not that every person's journey is the same, but they can choose where to navigate themselves a lot more easily if they have the right map.
1: You know, and when the- as, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, as a parent, we try to help our children navigate that map. But that map comes right. from our own experience.
0: Right, and so, right? That's, and so is-
1: that's, where, that's where sometimes the path breaks a little bit.
0: Well, no. So I think, you know, many people, many parents do have now their own map, because the map used to come from a religion. And if you don't have a religion, then you just have your own map based on your experiences. But like, that doesn't mean it's the right map, right? Exactly. And it's important to try and understand what is the right way that like, and, and I do think philosophy is the, the science of this map making and, and why it's so important and interesting to me. Do you really um, think but, it's
1: the right way, or because it's so, or it, it's going to?
0: Why we're getting gonna, off topic? Of, yeah.
1: Okay, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to debate whether or not philosophy is the right. I don't know. I'm
1: not saying I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying is the right is right the the correct word to use.
0: Yes, that's In all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I want it on the note of being friends with yourself. I think that's kind of. The way I had to learn how to be with myself and talk to myself, one, I learned it from this book, from these passages. Um, but two, I learned it about how I wanted to treat the, 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 the person I fell in love with, right? And I really had to think, okay, if she was in this situation, how would I treat her? Why can't I treat myself that same mm-hmm. way? And I mean, it's not the best framing, but it's better than nothing. It's like there is someone, you know, and whoever it is, most people love someone dearly and they have to learn how to treat themselves with the same kindness, with the same patience, with the same compassion as they would treat the person they've loved most in the entire world. Um, And Um, that's really difficult, um, but a good way to look at it. I think.
1: I think that, uh, you know, part of the issue around that, around not being able to treat yourself the way you treat others is because fundamentally most people, myself included, I never felt I was worthy of it.
0: But we're taught we're not worthy of it, right? We're taught like you should live for others. You should help others. Who are you to like want to be selfish and do things for yourself? And so if you don't think you should do things for yourselves, then, you know, implicitly, why must not be worthy of them, right?
1: And, you know, it's interesting, because for myself, as I went on that journey, and I came out on the other side of finally accepting my own worth. And it was a hard journey. And, um, but now my relationships are so much better.
0: Right. And I think that's the case, mm because I only want relationships with other full people. I don't want Mm -hmm. to have to deal with someone who needs to rely on me or expect me to rely on them. I want equal people, right? I want Mm -hmm. relationships with equals. And I think that's, what's really interesting. Um, Well, it's being
1: able to, and, you know, I think this is part of what she's learning is, you know, she relied so much on her relationships with her, with, with her husband and with David and, And she talks about that in this chapter, how she was so dependent on those relationships for the pleasure, for the lust, for everything, right? And that's where she's saying now, you know what? I'm only gonna rely on myself. And I think that when you can get to a place where you accept each other's independence and the beauty of the time when you come together, that that's how your love can grow in a more fulfilling way.
0: Yeah, there's a, in, in you know, one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, there's a line, in order to say, I love you, you first need to say the I, right? right. You need to know who you are in order to really be able to love someone and know what that means and why that's important.
1: And that's why um, she looked in the mirror and she said, you're my friend. In essence, she was saying, I love you.
0: And I, I love I, you to the mirror. I really like being able to look at myself and be happy, right? Like, Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to touch on, just as a funny side story, I think, in, in this chapter, the, the part that stuck out the most is this story of Julio and Maria um, and how um, <laughs> they're a married couple. And Julio <laughs> or Julio says that Maria's so repressed that even in her most angry moment, she wrote swear words in Italian, not English. Because if she was really angry and let herself go, she'd be swearing in her native language. And I just right. thought that was a really funny, like that, that scene, that, um, uh, that explanation and how they left it on the wall as a symbol. Um, I thought that was really fun. And I just wanted to, to add that in.
1: Well, that was fun. And the way, you know, having, um, being married and having been married before, the, when they discussed how, he speaks Italian. No, she's He speaks Italian and she wants to learn Italian but
0: not from yeah. Not
1: from him because it'll become an argument.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think every married couple can relate to that because as much as you love and you respect each other there's just certain things you can't hear each other about. You know? So it, it, that for me was a really funny point
0: as well. Yeah. And um so now, you know, in terms of where I'm I'm going through, I'm now in on chapter 21. And I think it's really interesting because now we're finally, I feel like, settling into her experience. And she's now saying, How do I define pleasure? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's even okay, I'm allowed to want things, I'm allowed to seek what I find pleasurable, but there's a lot of options out there. So it's even a deeper level and really figure, out, no, well, no like not just what other people tell me might be pleasurable or what I'm supposed to find for pleasure, but what do I find as pleasurable? You know, there's so much I'm supposed to be doing while in Rome. And I really struggled with that while traveling as well. Like all of the things I'm supposed to do while traveling. And this connects back to no one needed to be there studying Italian. So it's really her trying to figure out what pleasure do I find pleasurable? What do I, how do I want to spend my time seeking pleasure.
1: Well, it's predefined, right? So there's people that travel, all the people who traveled in history, they all said, these are the things you need to go when you go away, need to do when you travel. And I have a cousin who plans her whole trip and does everything that the websites tell her are the things to do. Yeah. And every day is planned, the bus, the tour, the, 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 the right?
0: Like, like that, I, right? I don't like that.
1: Right. I don't like traveling that way because to me, I want to organically discover. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's beautiful and valuable to one person isn't beautiful and valuable to another. And I think that's what Elizabeth is realizing in the book. She's realizing that her definition of pleasure is and is not the same as somebody else's. And this is her definition right now. It might change when she goes back to Italy another time. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing like art. You go into an art gallery and you look at this art that's on the wall and people say it's a masterpiece. And I look at it sometimes and I think, why is this a masterpiece? Right? Because it's all relative. It's all based on our own perception.
0: I I think art's a bit more complex than that, but I essentially (laughs) agree. Because there's also something to be said about like training to appreciate art. Like art is quite complex. Um, as well. But it's the same. I understand the sentiment. Yeah, I just think um, it, it comes down to that people enjoy different things. And, and again, it comes back to, I just had a conversation, I'm doing, you know, a series uh, with the Ayn Rand Institute. Um, and I was talking to someone about how do I figure out what I want to do? Where do I find the answers? And he was like, you're think- you find the answers in your day. Like live a day, see what you enjoy about that day and go Mm -hmm. from there. You have to, you have to, it's called an inductive approach. You have to look at the facts and figure out what you like. And I think what's really interesting uh, in, in her experience, and it really resonated mind traveling as well. She, she talks about one of the happiest moments of her life. And it was, she went to the market, bought some asparagus. Oh,
1: I love that. Bought a
0: peach made herself a beautiful, uh, simple meal and sat in a sunspot while reading Italian and eating this meal. On the floor. On On the the floor. floor. And she says that was one of the happiest moments of her life. And I really resonate with that because some of the happiest moments of my life were such simple experiences too. But I was so full. I was so fully satisfied because it was the type of pleasure I like, the type of thing I want from my life and it's so interesting because that's not what you'd expect as the let's call it climax of four months of seeking pleasure in italy it's not oh i ate asparagus while reading a, a newspaper article
1: but that's the most important lesson of all of this is that the most the most transformational pleasure comes from the most simple things
0: hmm.
1: Really, when you can just simplify and make it easy, it doesn't have to be complicated. We overcomplicate things. Our society teaches us to overcomplicate things.
0: When again, it comes back to if the more you're distracting, then you don't have to deal with yourself. You don't have to face yourself. And in those simple pleasures, in the Italian doing nothing and and really feeling like you've earned the right to do nothing, you have to face yourself in those moments. And I, I love,
1: think. oh sorry, go, go ahead. on. I was just gonna say in the book, she says in Italian, I'm learning Italian by the way. In the book, she says Bel far Niente, the beauty of doing nothing. And then they say they say l'arte, the art of making something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? And to be able to look at life as art. And nothing as art. Nothing as art. Like, who would think that?
0: Who well, thinks that? No, nothing isn't art, but it's like the world is the canvas, right? Exactly. I create the world I want around me. And I Absolutely think that's actually something Steve Jobs said, interestingly enough. Not that I ever thought I'd connect him to Eat, Pray, Love. But <laughs> it's... Um, you know, the thing that made him different is he recognized everything around him was created by someone, right? You don't take it for granted. It's not just given in the world. And so when you recognize that everything that exists around you was created from nothing by someone, like that means you can do that too. You can create the life you want for yourself as well. And 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 I think it starts from being able to acknowledge oh, I can be doing nothing. It's okay for me to, to do nothing. There's nothing I have to do. So now I can do mm-hmm. only what I want to do.
1: You know, sometimes uh, every night I go, when I go to bed, I do a gratitude. I do gratitudes. Mm-hmm. And often I'm just grateful for my bed, my pillow, my pajamas, and my sacred space. That's nothing, right? Like really and truly, what is that?
0: But I would just say that's nothing. Right? No, like, but I
1: mean, in the bigger context of a complicated world, that would be considered like, really, that's right. what you're grateful for. And, but at the end of the day, I've had a simple, easy day. Life has been good. And I'm grateful to finally go into my sacred space and be able to end that day with the most simple things in my life, my bed, my pillow and my pajamas. And right? I think
0: that really touches on what she's hoping to get out of this is changing the context, right? Because you said in the grand scheme of the universe, your pillow, your bed, your space, uh it's quote, nothing, but your life's not about the universal context. your right. life's not about this whole context, and it's the same with her. It's not about you know the grand scheme of the universe, and you know she talks maybe before and and definitely later about like hopefully the universe is okay with me just focusing on me because if like she talks about when she's like petitioning people to get over to help her divorce end, you know most people want there's this isn't the right best way to frame it but most people would want less chaos would want less destruction would want less fighting and so i can improve the world improve the universe solely by improving myself if you want to make it difference what is it face the man in the mirror or whatever right you right. have change starts at well home, that's I what feel. that's
1: what she did she faced herself in the mirror right and they they say that if each of us can find that happiness and can find that peace and can find that if every single person in the world could find that the energy that would start resonating off of each of us would start to create the healing
0: right well no i think the healing is the facing ourselves and then like and i think you know this book is her, her taking us through her journey of healing, right? Right. And it's not that then the healing happens because she, no, she becomes a healing force in the world because right. of her finding herself, right? And the more people yeah. that do that, the more other people will have uh, the courage to do that as well. Um,
1: so one if, thing I want to just, oh.
0: sorry, one thing I want to just make sure, another, another really important point I want to just add from, from the last chapter in this section, 24. Um, well, can this... we go
1: back to chapter 22 first? Yeah. Because she talked so much about her loneliness and she explained so much and she, she shared with us her rawness, her real rawness, right? Yeah. Her raw depression, her raw loneliness. And in chapter 22, she said, when I get lonely these days, so once she came out the other side, And she started experiencing from a different, in a different way. Mm -hmm. She said, when I get lonely these days, I think, so be lonely, Liz, learn your way around loneliness, make a map of it, sit with it for once in your life. Welcome to the human experience, but never again, use another person's body or emotions as a scratching post for your own unfulfilled yearnings. I will give you all this time until I get so exhausted and depleted that the only way I can recover my energy is by becoming infatuated with someone else. So she's going to give herself the time to heal, to embrace her loneliness, so that when she does become infatuated with somebody else, it will be from a different place.
0: Right. And, and that's the, that's the, I think the most important part of all of this is be lonely. If, it's like, okay. It's and, okay. And I think, you know, people emphasize there's a difference between loneliness and alone, but you can only get to alone by going through loneliness, right? right. If, if your default mode is loneliness, you have to learn how to accept that, feel it, feel the unmet needs, and then learn how to satisfy them for yourself because we're so used to relying on other people and then needing those other people in a way that's unhealthy. Well, other
1: people, social media activities, it's not just about people it's society has created this, this environment where there's so much information and so much overkill in what we receive. Yeah. That.
0: But I think in terms of people's real unmet needs, they often it's, it's, it's like, well, social media, it's because they get likes. It's because they get like, they, they feel validated through other people right, still right. in one way or another. Because if it was just a bunch of like robots on the other end, I don't, th- I could be wrong, but I don't think it would be as impactful, You're right? right. I, um, think, I agree. It's really like when, when we have a hole, it's we try and get someone else to fill it or m- many other people. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so it's, yeah, I had like be lonely um, I think that's just like just the word be is very powerful to me because like I, I had to learn how to be because I was always doing I was always focused on what I was doing mm-hmm. and never I was never just being I was never is right and it's, it's mm-hmm. even hard to like explain the language I had to think of it in because it was so confusing for me but I think she captures it really well there Um And, and again, to me, it's a really good sort of contrast of like, she's letting herself seek as much pleasure as she wants, according to her own definition, figuring out what that definition is. Mm -hmm. And when she does that, she's alone and lonely because that's still not fulfilling. And we're going to see like how she continues her journey from there. But it's like, that's the first step. I think the first step is. Who am I? What do I want? And when I meet those needs, I figure out, okay, now I'm just still alone in this. Where do I go from here? Whereas people, they kind of never face that question properly because they're always distracted with other things. So I think it's just a really interesting kind of uh, trajectory for her and where we're at right now. Um, And again, it's really interesting to me how we've still like, I think the contrast between Italy and India will be very stark because India, the whole purpose is explicitly kind of like, uh, no,
1: it's nothing. Searching. in the way Well, it's searching, but it's also nothing in the way we truly define nothing. You don't think of Italy as nothing, right? right. Even though it's nothing, she's experiencing nothing in Italy. When you think of India and go into an ashram and, and doing that kind of meditative process for four months, that is the quintessential idea of nothing. It's what we typically think of as nothing, right?
0: And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how the the end, how Italy ends in our next, uh, next 12 chapters, and to see then the contrast as well. But, um, you know, I think through, through this experience of actually having to kind of talk about and analyze it, I've learned that we don't really talk that much about Italy, right? Um, and it's interesting um, for me, for, for sure.
1: Well, I don't think that, you know, I think that her whole experience is not really about the, the place where she is because it's about the experience, the experiences that that place, place is generating but really when we take ourselves and we're raw and we go to any place, we're gonna manifest what, who we are and what we are no matter where that place was. So she's in Italy, but that what she's explained about her own experiences could have happened in a mountain cabin in the Rocky Mountains, right? Like it doesn't necessarily mean that it had to be in Italy. If she would have gone somewhere else and been ready to have this experience, it, it would come. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing because, you know, through my journey, I've had my own struggles with different things. And I would always think, oh, I have to move or I would change jobs and I would always be changing, but nothing ever changed. Right. Because I take, and somebody said to me, someone very wise said to me, nothing will change because you're always taking yourself with you. Right. Right. And then the minute they said that to me, I was able to start opening myself in a different way because I started looking at my experiences through different eyes, through my, still my eyes, but differently. Yeah. Right? And I think that's why we're not really talking about Italy because it's not really about the place.
0: Yeah. And if we, if we did, it would be like, Oh, she has a, you know, she went to a soccer game. That was interesting, but like, mm-hmm. that's not really the point. It's just like, that's, again, it's a con, it, it provides a lens of her experience and like the pleasure she's getting out of the language and stuff, but it's definitely not the focus of the book. It's not the focus of her journey. Right. It's, right. it's the setting of it. Um, though- and that's,
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and I think that's why people, reading this book again, I know you've read it multiple times. This is my second time. I'm because of where I am in my own journey. Now I'm able and ready to embrace those rough parts of her journey that I skimmed over. And I didn't even remember from before.
0: Mm. Whereas for me, like, it's the opposite, right? The first, when I read this, I obsessed over the deep dark parts because I was stuck there. And it was like okay, I needed guidance to get out of it. So it was like learning from her experience.
1: And um, I wasn't and I wasn't facing it.
0: Mm.
1: See, I wasn't facing it. So
0: Yeah, Different. that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so the one last thing I want to add, just you know, on on chapter 24 is I think there's a really nice conversation between her and Giovanni talking about sadness and the idioms we have in different languages about sadness. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: she says that, you know, when someone's sad, they say, I've been like, when you're talking to someone who's sad, you'll say I've been there and he was confused. And it's like, Oh, so sadness is a place. And it's like, yeah, you could imagine sadness is a place. And when you're depressed, you're stuck in that place. And she says, some people live there for years right? And it's really this interesting kind of way to capture it. And I think provides a good, a good framing of seeing where she's coming out of, right, where she's going as well. Um, and then we also see here, the, the uh, Italian phrase, I've experienced that on my own skin, which I all that like, gives me goosebumps of like, when that's really, really empathetic, right? To to be able to understand and say, no, I've experienced that on my own skin. Like I know exactly what you're feeling, right? Imagine if I had a specific uh, skin rash or whatever and you had it like, and if you'd never experienced that, you wouldn't be able to say that and know it. But to be able to say, I know exactly the complex set of feelings you're having right now. Mm-hmm. Like that's so like, so... Um, impactful to me. You
1: you said I, something you said it's more compassion. I think you used the word compassionate. So it made me think when you say I've been there, that's almost dismissive. Yeah, I've been there. Right? The the no. English way when you say it. Like uh,
0: so I I don't I don't want to say that one way is better than the other. I think people can say it dismissively right the same way if you have a skin rash I could say, oh yeah, I've had that before. Like, oh, it, like if you had a, you know, a 10 out of 10 skin rash and I had a two out of 10 skin rash, I could say like, oh yeah, <laughs> I felt that, right? Yeah. And so, and that's, I think what people don't understand and why I really appreciate the I've been there as well, right? Because if you, if you know, if you really think about and know where I am when I'm in a sad spot and you can actually make me understand that you've been there, then you can help me get out of it. You can, and that's what she's doing. She's showing that she's been where I've been, or I am where she's been. And so she's helping me get out of it. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to say like one is is better or worse than the other. I think they're both really good. I just hadn't heard the the Italian one. Like, and I think it's-, it's Well, it goes stipulated. back to the
1: romance of the language too, right? The language mm-hmm. just has a way of, of phrasing things in a much more poetic way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so you know, uh,
1: so I'm, can I tell you my favorite phrase from chapter 24?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, she went through that dark place. She took us to her darkest place with her, and mm. at the end of the chapter, she said, Atraver Siamo, which means let's cross over. Let's cross over. We've been we've been on that side of the bridge we've, you know, we've navigated those waters, let's cross over. And then she said, surrender. And mm. I think I get goosebumps when I say that word surrender, because it's so hard. It's so hard to surrender.
0: Yeah. And and I think, I think that's, you know, people, some people have the wrong idea about what it would mean to surrender, because it's mm-hmm. often associated with like, some Giving higher up. power or like giving up or whatever. It's not your life. uh, Like you shouldn't be in charge of it. You should surrender. And it's not that at all. It's sort of, I I view it as more so almost like admitting where you are. Uh, Like again, giving up is the wrong word, but it's like
1: letting go, letting go.
0: Yeah. And we've talked about that before. It's about letting like surrender the battle you thought you had to fight and then live your life. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that. And when you say like, you know, I, I do remember her favorite word is "attraversiamo," and we'll, we'll, she'll, you know, bring that back up again in the future. But one thing that stood out to me when you just brought it up as well is that's actually kind of what this is serving for, for you and I, right. You and I have had, uh, you know, not the most uh, happy last two years in our relationship.
1: You're going to make me cry.
0: And And I think this it's valuable to me because this is helping us cross over into a relationship where we're both adults, we both are choosing to value each other, and choosing the type of life we want to live. And so, like, that's really powerful to me as well, because that's what this is serving for us. And I think it's a a very important sentiment, uh, especially in people like, as you know, you and I have each found ourselves. And now we're planning to move and cross over together. That's what's the toughest part. What people fear is that if they find themselves, other people won't be willing to cross over with them. And I think from my experience, the people who aren't willing, they're the ones you don't want coming with you anyways. So I think that's a really, uh, a really good sentiment uh, as well.
1: Thank you for that, David.